Well, praise the Lord. It has been good to gather together in God's presence and remind ourselves of the truth. Amen? So important. And I'm grateful for the opportunity this morning to continue to talk about a topic that I never get tired of talking about, and that is God's grace. That's what we're going to focus on this morning, God's grace, and specifically handling it with care. I'm sure most of us here this morning at some point or time have either helped family or friends move, right? There's a, it was funny with our family, growing up as a missionary kid, my dad was an amazing packer. He could fit things in that most people couldn't fit in. And so the problem is you get a reputation. And I love helping people move, but man, Caulfelds can fill a U-Haul and pack it with expertise. And so I remember helping my uh, older brother and his wife move from British Columbia to Ontario. And as with every move, there's always that pile of boxes that either has written with a marker or there's a big yellow sticker that says, fragile, handle with care. Well, this was the same with my brother and my sister-in-law. They had rented a 26-foot U-Haul, and my dad and I were going to drive the U-Haul across the country, and my brother was going to fall in their van. And in the U-Haul was packed pretty much the majority of their household belongings, and then in the van behind, which my brother was going to drive, was all those packages that were meant to be handled with care. And we had a fantastic trip traveling across Canada from Abbotsford, BC. At that time, they were moving to Acton in Ontario, and we had no incidents until we got to northern Ontario. And we stopped to fuel up and to get a, a, grab a bite to eat. And I went to get something that I had forgotten in my brother's van. And so I opened up the door and without even thinking, I put my knee on a box to reach what I was getting. And I heard a very distinct noise. I knew exactly what had happened. I had just put all my weight on the box that was carrying all the glass shelves of their dining room hutch. Just, you could hear the layers breaking. And I felt sick to my stomach. I thought, oh man. But I knew my brother would be gracious. My sister-in-law wasn't there. <laughs> I love my sister-in-law. She's a great lady, because she married my brother and puts up with him, right? But, but I felt sick to my stomach. And I knew initially that my brother and my sister-in-law would be gracious. But at the same time, there had to have been some frustration with my carelessness that I just didn't think about something that I needed to handle with care. And so as we go to God's Word this morning, I want all of us to reflect on this critical question. How am I handling God's grace in my life? Am I handling God's grace in my life with care or recklessly? If you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn to 2 Kings. We will be reading chapter 5. A very familiar passage. If you've grown up in the church, it's a great Sunday school lesson. Second Kings chapter 5, a classic illustration of God's grace and differing responses to that grace. I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. Now bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who was in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. 
So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? What does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See, he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him his, this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters in Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Naaman, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my masters enter the temple of Ramon to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also, when I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. After Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was way too easy on Naaman, the Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi hurried after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right, he asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, Two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. By all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. He gave them to two of his servants and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from his servants and he put them away in his house. He sent the men away and they left. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards or flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. In this narrative, I see three aspects related to God's grace on display. That if we will remember, will serve us well to ensure that we handle His grace in our lives 
with care. And the first one I see that we must not forget is that God's grace is amazing. God's grace is amazing. We've just sung about it. We regularly get together to remind each other of that. I doubt if I would get any disagreement from anyone here in person or anyone online to that statement that God's grace is amazing. But unfortunately, there is this potential in all of us to become so used to his undeserved favor, which he extends to us on a daily basis, that we begin to take it for granted. Sadly, even to the point where his grace might even no longer amaze us. It was interesting, last week our eldest son headed back south of the border to begin his third year of college. And after he got off a phone call with one of his friends who was already on campus, he was like, yes. And I was like, what are you so happy about? He says, the cafeteria is back to full functioning. And he looks at his sister and he says, that means, April, all the chocolate milk I want. And he says, even all the cereal dispensers, they're all back in full function, full cafeteria college food. It reminded me of those days when I was in university. The cafeteria was so exciting, right? All new stuff that at home you had to eat. Now I get to choose whether I eat. And then there was those late night pizzas. And then during exam weeks, how many bags or those little Mr. Noodles did we go through, right? You become used to your diet, your taste buds just become used to that kind of food. And then you come home from a semester after exam week and you have that first home cooked meal. And it's like your taste buds just come alive. You're like, wow, I forgot how good mom's cooking really is. Sadly, sometimes we get so used to God's grace in our lives that we forget just how amazing it really is. And forgetting how amazing God's grace is is not a spiritually healthy position for us to be in. That's why it is so critical for us both as individuals on our personal journey as followers of Jesus Christ and corporately as a church that we regularly take time to reflect. Stop. Take time to reflect and gather to remind ourselves of His amazing grace. And this passage, 2 Kings chapter 5, does exactly that for us. As we read the narrative, did you notice all the different ways God was so gracious to Naaman? Besides the obvious miraculous healing he received from his leprosy. You see, Naaman on all accounts did not deserve God's attention, let alone his favor. Why? Because he was not even an Israelite. He was a foreigner. And not just a foreigner, he was the supreme commander, the highest ranking officer of the Syrian army, the enemy of God's people. Now, for a prophet of the Lord to heal an Israelite leper was one thing. But imagine, to restore the very person whose job it was to oppress you, that is altogether a whole nother story. Yet this is the unexpected nature of God's amazing grace. He is lavishly generous with his grace, pouring it out upon those who are undeserving. People like Naaman, this foreigner, this Syrian and people like you, and people like I. Paul in Romans 5.10 reminds the believers he was writing to that before being saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we all were God's enemies. All of us were God's enemies. At the end of the day, if I'm able to be awake, there's a show I like to try and watch, Sports Center. Sports Center is a half hour 
show that captures the outstanding plays and different things that have happened in the world of sports within that last day. And as I read through this passage this week, as I was studying it, the first 19 verses of this chapter is like an episode of Sports Center. But rather than highlighting the incredible achievements and the plays of athletes, it highlights the amazing moves God made on Naaman's behalf. And I don't want us to miss them. Yes, we know the miraculous healing, but there's so many other moves that God put into play for him to even get to that position. And so I want to run through them like a highlight reel. In verse 1, when an enemy of God, while still an enemy of God, did you hear that? God was enabling Naaman to be victorious. Before Naaman had even confessed, as he did in verse 15, that the God of Israel, there is only one God, no one else in the world but this God of Israel. Look what it says in verse 1. He was a great man in the sight of his master, highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Wow. Is that not a helpful reminder as we watch the news, as we as a country, as a nation go through an election, to know that God is sovereign, he's at work over all the nations of the world. And that he extends his common grace both to the righteous and to the unrighteous. Jesus makes reference to this common grace of God in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. Listen to what he says. In reference to God, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Wow, what a move by God. What a highlight. Well, an enemy of God, God was enabling him to be victorious even though he wasn't aware of it. Let's go to the next highlight, verse 2 and 3. God strategically places a young captive Israelite girl to offer Naaman hope. Didn't just happen by coincidence. Through her, he became aware of someone who would cure him of his leprosy. As I thought about her situation, it reminded me of Joseph. When Joseph said to his brothers who had sold him into slavery in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he said to them, you intended to harm me. Naaman intended to harm this slave girl by cap capturing her. But God, Joseph said, intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This young girl's faith in Elisha and the God of Elisha, whom she probably heard of before she was carried off as a slave, was used by God to offer Naaman hope. What an incredible highlight. Go on to the next highlight, verse 5 and 6. God graciously grants Naaman favor with his master, who not only gives him a leave of absence to go to Israel to seek a cure for his leprosy, but also sends him with a diplomatic letter on his behalf, seeking favor from the king of Israel. And not only that, he sends him with an enormous royal gift. Look what it says in verse 5. So Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. That's 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. An amount five times the amount required to purchase the hill of Samaria where the king of Israel lives that he's going to request favor from. Incredible. God grants him favor with his master. And then we go on and we see the next amazing move God does. He graciously causes Elisha to have compassion for the king of Israel who didn't even deserve it. 
You see, having become aware of the king of Israel's distress in verse 7, we see that after the king of Israel read the letter from the king of Aram on behalf of Naaman, it says he tore his robes. That means that's a sign that he was in great distress. Why was he in great distress? Because he realized he's not God. Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow referring to the king of Aram send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? I can't do that. And he begins to panic and go, see how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When I can't fulfill what the king of Aram has told me, they're going to surely attack us. And what does God do? He sends Elisha, have compassion on the king, and he sends a messenger to the king and tells him, redirect Naaman to me. Redirect him to me. Even though the king had no use for Elisha because he appeared to constantly be opposing the king of Israel, Elisha knew, as he says in verse 8, that Naaman would learn, even if the king of Israel had not, that there is a true prophet in Israel. Verse 10, next highlight. God graciously provides him with the prescription to be cleansed of his disease. You see all these moves that God is making? He wanted to be cured of his leprosy, but God was working all these things on his behalf to get to the point where he could actually receive the instructions of how he was to be clean. Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. And then we see the next move in verses 11 to 13. In spite of Naaman's pride, in spite of his trust in his own opinions, versus God's word, in spite of his rage, here's the good news. God does not give up on Naaman. What does he do? He graciously sends Naaman's servants to persuade this great commander to obey the word of the Lord. Travel the 25 miles from Elisha's house to the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times. God strategically uses his servants to persuade their commander. You see, Naaman had to learn two important lessons that we need to remind ourselves as well. The first being that God's grace cannot be bought or earned or it wouldn't be undeserved favor. Paul in Romans 11 verse 6 referring to the grace of God said it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. Secondly, he also needed to learn that we don't approach God on our terms. Did you see what Naaman says in verse 12? After he hears the word of the Lord to the messenger, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? He wanted to be cleansed according to his terms. Granted, both Abana and Farpar, which flowed from mountains into Damascus where he was from, and yes, gave life to orchards and to gardens. Yes, they were superior waters to the muddy Jordan. But the issue at stake here was not the quality of the water. The cure was never in the water of the Jordan, but instead in obedient faith in God's promise through his prophet. And as one author said, sometimes the easiest thing to do is so hard if we are not willing to humble ourselves and obey God's direction in our life. Have you noticed as we've gone through this highlight reel of God's moves on behalf of an enemy of his? Have you noticed the unexpected conduits of God's power and goodness in Naaman's life? An Israelite slave and servants of a foreign army commander. An Israelite slave and servants of a foreign army commander. Second class citizens. 
They are the ones who encourage Naaman to seek help in Israel and to submit to washing in the muddy Jordan River. I love this one quote I read this week. The little maiden rescues the great man. The captive saves the commander. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, we're reminded that God has chosen the weak and foolish things of this world to make himself known. And finally, we get to the highlight of the night. You wait that whole half hour when you're watching SportsCenter because there's going to be one play that has been selected as the highlight of the night. And we see that in verse 14. The highlight of the night. God graciously heals him according to his word. The scripture says his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Wow. It's interesting. Jesus made reference to this healing in Luke chapter 4 verse 27. Listen to what it says. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian. Wow. You talk about a highlight of a night. No other leper in Israel in the time of Elisha was cleansed of leprosy except Naaman, a foreign commander of an enemy of God. Is God's grace marvelous? Oh, it is so marvelous. So there you have it. What a highlight reel of God's amazing grace. And from a human perspective, as I read this week, There were so many apparent hurdles in the way of Naaman ever being healed from his leprosy. But praise God, our God, the only God, is not limited by any obstacles. And if you're here this morning and you look at your own life and you realize how far you may seem from God and maybe you're discouraged, there's so many things you don't understand, Pastor Calvin. Please understand my heart. I don't understand, but I know who is all-powerful. And just like Naaman, he can remove every obstacle that you might think is in your way from becoming a follower of Jesus Christ or a maturing disciple in Jesus Christ. God is not limited by any obstacles. And that's why we need to regularly take time to reflect on all the gracious moves God made on your behalf and on my behalf to draw us into himself and change our lives forever. There was an assignment I had to do once for a class, and I'd encourage you to do it this week. Get out a piece of paper and graph the moves that God has made for you over your life. It's a really good exercise because all of a sudden you'll start to realize, wow, so that's why I met that person. That's why I got that job. I had no clue that he was using that job to introduce me to this church. And just graph it out. Praise the Lord for the moves he's made on our behalf, and then do another thing. Write, send a text, or send an email to those people that God puts in your mind that he used to move you along in your journey and say thank you to them for being faithful. God's grace is amazing. The second thing I realize in this narrative that I see on display is God's grace transforms lives. We are here today because we have experienced that. God's grace transforms lives. Yes, Naaman's physical healing, although so spectacular, was only one component of the total transformation that God intended for his life. And you see, sometimes we can get so focused on our physical needs. He was like, surely he'll come out in the spot. He'll say a prayer and he'll cure it. Sometimes we get so focused on our physical needs that we forget God is interested in transforming our whole being. 
Do you remember what the Lord said to Samuel when David was about to be anointed as the king to replace Saul? Listen, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So let's look at the ways God graciously transformed Naaman's life, not only outwardly, but also inwardly. The first thing I notice is that God's grace humbled Naaman. God's grace humbled Naaman. Remember as we read the narrative, how did he show up the first time to Elisha's house? It said he showed up at his door. He arrives with his horses and his chariots and his great expectations. It's almost sound like demands that Elisha, the man of God, would do something great for him. And how does Elisha respond? As a brave dude. Can you imagine? This is the supreme commander of the army of Syria, your people's enemy, he shows up your door with all his horses, all his chariots. Elisha doesn't even go to the door. That's a brave dude. Why? Because his trust was in the Lord. He didn't fear man. And what does he do? Rather than get up, he opts to send out to Naaman a messenger to give Naaman the instructions he needed to follow in order for his flesh to be restored and cleansed. And in verse 11 and 12, we see what Naaman thought of Elisha's customer service. Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me, just dripping with pride, and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot, and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? He turned away and went off in rage. But then did you see what happens in verse 15? After experiencing the grace of God in his life, Naaman shows up at Elisha's house a second time, but this time very different. He's no longer angry. He's no longer flaunting his own expectations. He's no longer trusting in his own opinions. Rather, we see him returning with a heart full of gratitude, hands full of gifts, and even refers to himself in verse 17 as Elisha's servant. Wow, what a contrast. God's grace humbled Naaman. Second thing I see in verse 15 is God's grace changed what Naaman believed. He comes to the door and he says, Elisha, now I know there is no God in all the world, not just in Israel, not just in Damascus, in all the world except in Israel. Proving the earlier words of Elisha, which he had said to the king of Israel in verse 8, that he will come to know there is a prophet in Israel. You see, the physical miracle made him clean on the outside. But in view of eternity, the greater miracle, the true highlight of the night, was that God graciously convicts this man on the inside that there is only one true God. This was the highest purpose of Naaman's healing from God's perspective. Listen to what God says in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 5 and 7. Do you think that... God wants us to know that he is the only one true God. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know there is none beside you. I am the Lord, and there is no other. That's what God wanted to accomplish. That's why God made all these moves, gracious moves on behalf of Naaman. He wanted Naaman to know that he is the one true God. 
And then through Naaman's confession, God was using this foreigner, this enemy of his, to shame the Israelites who continued to believe, no, 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 no. There is the Lord, but there's also Baal. Wow. God had changed what Naaman believed. The third thing I see in verse 17 is God transformed Naaman from being an enemy of God, listen, to an active worshiper of God. An active worshiper of God. And we see this from the unique request he made of Elisha in verse 17. I don't know if we were reading through it, if that caught your attention. But in verse 17, after Elisha refuses the gifts from Naaman, he says, Please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to another god but the Lord. That's an interesting request. Can I have two mules that will carry as much dirt from your country back to Damascus? Well, you see, you have to understand the context. In ancient Near East, it was thought that a god could only be worshipped on the soil of the nation that God belonged to. You see, they had such a wrong understanding of God. And so you could only worship the God of Israel on the uh, it was believed on the soil of the nation of Israel. Or if an altar was built in the country you came from with soil from that country. Isn't Isn't that interesting? That's why Naaman makes this request. It's not a bizarre request. In the context he's coming out of, in the context he's living, it makes total sense. And so that's why Naaman wanted a load of Israelite soil so he could go back to his country and no longer make burnt offerings or sacrifices to a false god, but he wanted to be true to the one and only true God. Again, clear evidence that Naaman's mind and heart towards who God is had been changed. He's the man that not too long ago didn't want to even jump in the muddy rivers in Israel, the River Jordan. And here now he's asking for two mules to take dirt back from Israel to Damascus. There's something very significant going on here that God is highlighting for us through the change in Naaman's life that we cannot miss because it affects each and every one of us seated in here today or listening online. You see, through the grace he extended to Naaman, God was revealing. This is so important to understand. God was revealing that his plan was not only to bless his people, the Israelites, but all who would acknowledge him as the one true God. God was extending his grace beyond the borders of Israel. And today we are the benefactors of his willingness to extend his grace so that we could be included. I want you to listen to how Paul describes us being included in God's grace in Romans chapter 11 verse 17. He says, and you, referring to us Gentiles, though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. Listen so carefully. Do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. Wow. We, like Naaman, who were on the outside, undeserving of God's grace, have been brought into fellowship with God. No longer enemies of his. Instead, we are to be active worshipers. Active worshipers. The final change I see in Naaman's life in verse 18, 19 is God's grace motivated Naaman to want to please God. Before we knew God, we wanted to please ourselves. We lived according to our flesh. 
Now we see Naaman, after experiencing the grace of God in his life, he is motivated to want to please God. And in verse 18, makes a second interesting request of Elisha. He says, but may the Lord forgive your servant, referring to himself, for this one thing. When my master, that's the king of Aram, enters the temple of Ramon, which was the temple where the Arameans worshipped their Syrian deity, to bow down, and he is leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. What's going on here? Well, as the top aide to the king of Aram, part of his duty demanded that he accompany the king in his religious services at the temple. And Naaman recognizes, I have a dilemma. I have a dilemma. And that's why he requests of Elisha that the Lord forgive him for this apparent outward compromise of his true faith and commitment to the only God. Forgive me. Part of my duty but I want forgiveness because the Lord needs to understand, I want to please him. And how does Elisha respond in verse 19? Elisha responds to this dilemma by telling him simply, go in peace. Go in peace. Elisha never verbally approves or disapproves. He simply leaves him in the hands of God who graciously sought him and who graciously found him. Wow, amazing. God's grace humbled Naaman, changed what he believed, transitioned him from being an enemy of God to an active worshiper, and now motivates him to want to please God. What an amazing transformation. But I notice in this two other principles that are not part of the transformation in Naaman's life that we see in the young Israelite girl and in Elisha that are also important for us to understand. First of all, in verse 3, God's grace in the little girl's life. God's grace grows in individuals who have experienced grace, a compassion for others. A compassion for others and emboldens people to testify of their faith in the midst of difficult times. This little girl had many reasons to hate Naaman. First, he was of heathen blood. He wasn't even part of God's people. And secondly, he had kept her as a captive slave, away from her country, away from her home, away from her family, stolen by force. And what do we see? She truly desires to see her master be healed of his leprosy, and so speaks up. She opened her mouth and she testified. Her example should inspire us to depend on the power of God in us, And when we are dependent on the power of God in difficult circumstances, we too can speak up. And when we speak up and testify to our faith in God, we have no clue what God is going to do with that. Not only did God use her faith to obtain healing for her master, but she was a key component in Naaman's journey to conversion. Never know her name. Just a little young Israelite girl. And then verse 10 and 16, another aspect I see of God's grace, how it transforms people in Elisha. God's grace causes individuals to intentionally not seek praise or credit. Intentionally not seek praise or credit. In the time of Elisha, there were false prophets who were lining their pockets, giving the prophetic office that Elisha was a part of a bad name. This is why Elisha was so intentional to refuse the gifts that Naaman had brought, and they were big gifts, very tempting. 
But Elisha was intentional to refuse him so as to avoid any conduct that might be misunderstood as self-seeking. He didn't want any credit for what God was going to do in Elisha's and Naaman's life. He wanted it all to go to God. And so as I looked at these different things that we see in Naaman's life and the young Israelite girl and Elisha, based on this passage, I made a simple checklist that's in the sermon notes if you pick them up that might be helpful in evaluating if we are handling God's grace in our lives with care. How would you answer these questions? Am I humble? Am I convinced of the truth? Convinced of the truth meaning he was changed in his mind, which affected his heart, which ultimately impacted his actions. Am I convinced only in my head? Or is what I know to be true about God impacting my heart so that it affects my actions? Am I an active worshiper? Lifestyle and corporately? Am I motivated to please God? Am I compassionate towards others? Am I testifying of my faith in God with others even in difficult circumstances? Am I intentional to not steal any of God's glory by seeking praise and credit for myself? God's grace transforms lives. And finally, God's grace should not be taken advantage of. It is amazing. It does transform lives, but should not be taken advantage of. Contrast the care with which Naaman handled God's grace to that of Elisha's servant Gehazi. As a servant of Elisha, this was not the first time Gehazi had seen God's action and his grace in action in other people's lives. But how did he handle it? What does he do? He takes advantage of it by exploiting and stealing for the purposes of satisfying his own greed. And rather than follow Elisha's example of not exploiting God's grace in another person's life for his own gain, Gehazi takes matters into his own hands and does what seems right in his own eyes. That is such a dangerous way to live, brothers and sisters. We see this from the very beginning of God's word with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. When we choose to follow our ways rather than God's ways, things begin to unravel real quickly. And we see that in Gehazi. He starts by betraying his master and flat out lies to Naaman, saying that Elisha had sent him to ask for a talent of silver and two sets of clothing for a couple of young men from the company of prophets that have come down from Ephraim. And Naaman, having just been the recipient of amazing grace in his life, is more than willing to be generous towards Gehazi in his request. In fact, he gives him two talents of silver, two sets of clothing, and sends two servants to carry the supplies for Gehazi. And did you notice when they arrived in Samaria, which is on a hill, Gehazi takes the things from Naaman's servants and puts them in his house and sends the men away. We must not forget that God is gracious, but not to be trifled with. God is gracious, but not to be trifled with. And God, having revealed to Elisha what Gehazi had done, Elisha confronts him, and rather than come clean, what does Gehazi do? He continues to dig an even deeper hole for himself by lying. Until finally, we see what is declared to him. Naaman's leprosy will cling to you, Gehazi, and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. He was reckless with the grace that God had extended in another person's life and his own. Naaman's leprosy had been removed from him for his trust and obedience to God. And now, ironically, leprosy would cling to Gehazi for his lack of trust and obedience to God. Church family, may we never become blind or callous 
to God's amazing grace, but rather handle it with care and see it in all of life, especially in the weak, humble, and foolish things. God's grace is amazing. God's grace transforms lives, but God's grace should not be taken advantage of. So I pray as we leave this morning, we will do an honest evaluation before the Lord and ask the, answer the question, how am I handling God's grace? With care or recklessly? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your marvelous grace. Marvelous grace. And thank you for the work you did in Naaman's life. Thank you, Father, that you extended your grace beyond just the Israelites so that we could be grafted in. We could be included. Oh, amazing grace you have offered us. Father, I pray that we will be people who respond like Naaman and with much care handle your grace. May it be evident in our lives, in our loyalty and faithfulness to you, to your body, to those outside of our community. Oh God, I pray that we would walk as people who understand that God's grace is to be handled with care. So Father, would you help us to do that? Thank you so much that you've given us the Holy Spirit. You've given us your word. Father, through your divine power, we have been given everything we need for godly living. So Lord, help us to take full advantage of the resources you have given us today. Thank you. Your grace is amazing. And we pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.